Good morning. Good morning. My name is Amber Carroll, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Covenant Church. It is so good to be together today in worship. And before I get started, I just would like for us to take a minute and recognize that when we come into a place um, from all over, we come from our, our, wherever we lay our heads at night to sleep, and we walk in here with all of life uh, carrying with us all of the joys and all the sorrow and the sadness. And oftentimes when we come into a place of worship, um, we wonder, what is the pastor going to say today? And I hope that it can speak to me. And I believe that I have a word today that will speak to all of us. What I'm going to ask you to do is not shut me down before you hear all of it. And um, so what I'm go- we're going to just do a real quick process of breathing. And um, so it's really not that scandalous. But I just... Um, we, we hear some things a lot of times when we come up with excuses on why this doesn't apply to me or why I don't need to listen. And so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and we're going to just take te- three deep breaths. So close your eyes, breathe in, and breathe out, and breathe in, and breathe out, and breathe in, and breathe out. O loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Amen. All right, so today I want to start with a topic. I want to talk about something that I believe that we all have in common, and I think it's this. I think we all want to be known for something. Uh, You may have given this a lot of thought. You may not have given this much thought, but the truth is all of us want to be known for something. Uh, when you come to mind, what do you think about yourself? What adjectives come to mind that you would like to describe you? If somebody were to just stop you and say, hey, what do you want people to think when they think about you? Whether you've given it a lot of thought or you've given it uh, not a lot of thought, something comes to mind. And so for just a minute, I'm going to give you a little bit of space. What do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? In the spirit of transparency, I thought it would be important for me to share a little bit with you what I want to be known for, um, because it kind of sets us up for where we're going today. Um, And if I'm going to ask you this question, then I should answer this as well. I mean, right? 150 of our closest friends. We're all friends here, right? Um, But I don't know if I've ever really said this out loud. I think... From, for as long as I can remember, I have wanted to be known for being a good girl. And that, like, I, it, I was thinking about it this week. Like, what do I want to be known for? And I, um, I've always been a real happy kid, happy person. I remember in very, very well, remember a conversation with a group of friends who I thought were friends, kind of a molding conversation where I said, uh, they sat me down and said, um, we think that you're fake because you're happy all the time. And no one can be happy all the time. And I remember thinking, well, I kind of am. Like, I just kind of have, like, a, this positive outlook on life. And anyway, so I, I was thinking about these, these moments in my life that have shaped kind of who I want to be known for and the adjectives that describe me. And I remember in college, um, I don't know how much I can share of this, but um, I was hanging out with a group of people that I was trying to be like and be with, and it wasn't a really great fit, and they had a really, they had really bad language. And I've not, I don't have a potty mouth. I have not used a lot of curse words in my life. It doesn't come naturally, but I tried to fit in, and I dropped the F-bomb. 
And they stopped. I might have told you this before. But they stopped, and they looked at me, and they're like, yeah, that doesn't work for you. I was like, yeah, that, didn't, that doesn't fit in for me. But I think about that, like a genuine desire. Like I want to be known as being a good girl. And more than that, I want to I be known for someone who loved Jesus with all their life. And there are other things. I want to be known for being a good mom and a good wife, a good daughter, a good friend. What comes to your mind when you think about what you want to be known for? And then if we take it a step deeper, what do you do when you don't measure up? You know, I, here's what I want to be known for. Here's how I want to, you know, project myself. Here are the adjectives that I want to uh, want people to think about when they think about me. But then what do you do when you don't measure up? And specifically, what do you do when you don't measure up to you and your own expectations of yourself? And I think I know what you do because I do the same thing. Um, I think we pretend and we excuse and we make uh, sometimes we mislead. Uh, we begin to manage our image. Uh, but the problem with managing our image is that it makes us imaginary. That the imaginary you takes center stage. So think about that. When you begin to manage your image, when you are something on the inside and you are projecting something different on the outside, you become, without even meaning to, this imaginary person. And I believe it is impossible, as hard as we try, it's impossible to to be really genuine, to have genuine friendships, genuine relationships, intimacy in marriage, important relationships in your life. Because as long as you're not genuine, as long as you're just trying to do image management, there will be this giant gap between who you are and who you want to be. And the bad news is, that the moment we start pretending, we stop growing. We actually get stuck. And so in transparency and uh, honesty, um, I'm going to speak on behalf of pastors. So I've been your pa- one of your pastors for three years. And um, it's a different role um, for me. I, wasn't ever ha- I didn't have that title before I came here, even though I feel like I've been a pastor for many, many years. Um, but I think we're the worst at this, to be honest with you. Um, and if you're a parent, you can appreciate this. You know, as a parent, you do this all the time. Like, you always want to be on for your kids because you don't want to lose your moral authority with your children. You want them to be able to come to you and look up to you and, and seek your guidance and your wisdom for things in life. And not that you're my children, but there is this, like, expectation of, um, for me to, to live in a way that you think I should live, right? But my moral authority, I don't want that to be in question. And so um, this is a big deal for me. Uh, Maybe I'm just getting counseling on stage with a microphone. But either way, counseling is great, by the way. If you don't have a counselor, you should get one. Um, But I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. I I think we all deal with this, whether it's at work or home, everywhere we go, I think we have this gap. The degree to which my lifestyle or the degree that my marriage or my faith veers from what I present to the world, from what it actually is, I feel the pressure to pretend. And if you're honest, I think you would prefer that I pretend. You want me to be what you hope I am. 
And this is true. If I stood up here, you don't want me to stand up here and say, okay, we're going to begin this new series on self-control and guardrails. And I just want to start by thanking the members of the leadership team who came and rescued me last night because I was wasted and couldn't get home. But now we're going to talk about self-control. Aren't you glad we're here? And you'd be like, uh, I'm not going to listen to her. She's crazy. Um, or, or, hey, um, we're going to start a next message series on marriage. And it's going to be great. I want to thank John. Last night, he gave me one more chance. So, we, you know, hey, we got more time, you know. Um, you'd be like, oh, great, the experts on marriage. Um, but you don't want to know that. That's not really true. We actually, I love you. We actually have a really great marriage. Um, we've been married for uh, 18 years. 17 of the best of my life. <laughs> I always want to use that joke. Um, but the pressure, you know, the truth is we all, we all have this, right? We all have this gap. And um, what do we do with that? What do we do with the gap? And on some level, we hide, we pretend, um, we cover up. Now, I want to shift from me to you. Um, and... Really, where do we, where do you pretend the best? And I think one place that we pretend the best is right here inside of the church. I mean, look at you. You're like all in your best behavior. You look awesome, like happy. You're sitting next to your loved one. Who knows what it was like before you got here, right? Are you screaming, get in the car, we're going to be late, you know, fighting, pulling in, get out of the car, walk in, smile, threaten your kids with an inch of their life. You better behave today. Um, not that we've ever done that. Um, but uh, we, we try to be on our best behavior in this space. And the reason that we pretend anywhere is that if people really knew what we were like, we are afraid that they wouldn't like us. If people knew what I was really like, then maybe they wouldn't like me. And so here's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes. If, if people don't know what you're really like, then I wonder if they really like you at all or if they just like the image of you that you are projecting. They like Instagram. They like social media. Uh, they like, you know, the adjectives that you've convinced them are true of you. But if people don't know what you're really like, then do they really like you? In fact, if you have not allowed yourself to be known by anyone, I would ask this question, who knows you, who likes you? And until we embrace all of who and where we really are, we cannot get to where we need to be. So this is true, that we want to be known for something. All of us want to be known for something. But we need to be known by someone's. We want to be known for something, but we need to be known by someone's. We all, beginning with me, including me, certainly me, need relationships where we can drop the pretense. We need relationships where we can drop all the manufactured, confident, I got it all together, everything's organized, all the time. We need a place where we can drop it without fear of being judged, without fear of feeling rejected. And then you think about it, when you find a place where you can drop the pretense, you are drawn to those people, whether it's healthy or not. So think for a minute of a group of people. If you've had in your life a group of people that you've just felt you could be so real with, and think of why it was that you felt that way. We say, you know, these people are for real. These are like real people. 
And I'm going to just speak truth. Some people in this room today, you have a hard time with church because you might feel you've never met any real people. You think, I go to church. Look, they have all their act together. Look, they're all smiling. No one's yelling at their kids in this building. Um, but when I'm with this other group, man, I just, there's, those are my people. And that, that might be true. And it might be a healthy place, and that might be great. But maybe something else is happening here. Maybe something else is going on. Maybe that group, it feels real because they were the first people you chose to be real with. And when you were real with them, you got known. I don't even know if that's proper English, but you got known. And when you got known, it felt really good. Maybe for the first time or one of the first times in your life, you felt like someone really liked you, like Sally Field. You like me. You really like me. Some of you are too young to know that. But, um, but it's because you allowed yourself to be known. You opened yourself up to the vulnerability of being known. And when you can find a circle of people, when you can find a group of people that you can truly be who you truly are and that they have your best interests in mind, it is a powerful, powerful thing. In fact, you were created for that. Our loving God created you and me to need people in our lives. And so here's this part of this message that you might not believe, and I'm going to spend a few minutes trying to convince you that the place that this is supposed to happen, the place where we are supposed to be known the most, where we should have the most freedom to be transparent, and at the same time committed to becoming everything we want to be, and the adjectives we've laid out there, the place that is designed for that is the church, is in this place. Now, that may not have been your experience in the church, and I want to acknowledge that. In fact, we're going to see in a few minutes, there's a tension around this whole idea. But if you have a bad idea of church, or maybe you've stopped going to church for a period of time, or you're just coming back, and you're not quite sure because you had a bad experience, you need to know that at the essence of church, this, this being known piece, this is the core of what it's all about. The church is to be the primary space where being known can happen. And this is why I say this. The the very first church, so you've heard of First Baptist, First Methodist, First Presbyterian. There was the first Jerusalem church. And in the very first church, in the very first century, one of Jesus's brothers, one of the very first pastors, uh, James, he said this about the church, and we're going to read some scripture. He said, I want you to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So, What we're going to do in just a minute is I'm going to ask you to stand. I want you to find a total and complete stranger. And I want you to confess your deepest and darkest secrets to them. (laughs) But I would encourage you not to go first, okay? Just kidding. We're not going to do that. But he says, confess your sins to each other. Pray, Church, confess your sins. Pray for each other so you may be healed, right? This is great. Confess and pray, and you can receive healing. We all want healing. But we're not going to do that. In fact, when you read a verse like this, you're like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to confess my sins to anyone. I can hardly confess my sins to God. I can hardly admit I have sins. Um, But uh, I don't want anyone to really know me because they would know what I was up to. And I don't want to know anyone to know what's going on inside me. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily really want to be known. Now, I don't know what's wrong in my marriage, and I don't know what's wrong with my friendships, and I don't know why I feel so lonely when I'm surrounded by people, but I'm, I'm lonely, and I don't know what's wrong, but I don't want anybody to know me. 
And James said, but the church is for this. The church says, the church says confess your sins to each other and pray for each other and pray for each other based on what you know about each other so you can be healed. And there is extraordinary power in being known. There's something that happens inside that cannot happen on the outside until you are willing to do something on the outside. But let's just be honest. It's not going to happen in here, in rows, because rows don't know. In fact, we just can't do it. It'd be weird. It would just be weird, right, that whole exercise. It'd be impossible. Um, and, and so the most important thing the church is designed to do, we can't do it when we're gathered here as a church because it's weird. So then another pastor wrote in the first century, he said, um, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So in, order, in other words, as Christians, we're supposed to be all about loving people and, and all about doing good deeds for people. And so, I, and he says, I want you to figure out how to spur one another on. And, and uh, it's, this is not like, I want one person to stand up here and spur a whole bunch of people on, which is helpful, but it's, it's more than that. It's a one another thing. We talk about having a one another faith. I want you to be in one another's life to the extent that you can spur one another on, to urge, to learn how to encourage one another. But this is a one another thing. And you can't really do that in here either. And he goes on to say this. He says, not giving up meeting together. You got to get together. This is not a solo thing. This Christian life is not a solo thing. You can't just sit home and watch, the, watch Facebook Live, which is great. Hey, Facebook Live people, I love you. I know you're out there. But um, you got to meet together. Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so I want you to stand up. I want you to find someone you don't know, and I want to urge them in good deeds. And that would be like, if, if I asked you to do that right now, that would be so superficial. You wouldn't even know what to say. Like, urge you, yeah. I, I mean, it would just be weird. And then the, the Apostle Paul wrote, we talk about Paul often. He was like the very first church planter, planted more churches than any pastor could ever. And he said, the, the church is supposed to look and feel like this. Okay, he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, okay, so in just a few minutes, I want you to stand up and find someone and catch them in their sin and tell them all about it. No, uh, you can't do that. That's just weird. If you know anyone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit, meaning you who profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you who have given your life over to God, you should restore that person gently. So if you took it literally, like if someone's caught in sin, um, you, you should restore them gently. So like you can't catch someone in their sin that you don't know. Like catch them, like I'm going to try to restore you. You know, the church has been really bad about calling out people's sin. I mean, we have, we have not done a very good job of that. We've gotten a really bad rap for calling out people that we are not in a loving, caring relationship with. We say now we've kind of swung the other way. Like we don't catch people in sin. We hardly call out anyone's sin. We say it's none of my business. I mind me, you do you, I do me, everything's fine. And then we just kind of go about our business. And that's not good either. We're just it's saying caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, restore that person gently in love. And then he says, carry one another's burdens. And if I'm going to carry your burden, I got to know your burden. You got to know my burden. Uh, and if you're ever going to know someone's burden, you have to be willing to be known as well. 
because rows don't know. Repeat that after me. Rows don't know. Say it again. Rows don't know. Yeah. It just can't happen. So he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And fulfill the law of Christ, if we were just to boil it down, right before Jesus left, um, he said, you know, there were a lot of commands. He said, love God and love one another. The law of Christ is this, love other people the way that God, through Christ, has loved you. When in doubt, if you wonder what the Bible means, when you wonder what you're supposed to do as a Christian, it all comes down to this. Love God and love each other. And you think, but I can't carry everyone's burdens in this space. I can't do that. I can't carry everyone's burdens. And that's okay. That's okay. Circles are better than rows. Rows don't know, right? And the only way to carry anyone's burden is to know what they're carrying. And then he goes on to say, accept one another then as Christ has accepted you. So I want to ask you this. Do you know why God has accepted you just the way you are? We say that all the time. Jesus loves you. You are accepted. Do you know why? In the way Christ has accepted you. He loves you because he sees something better for you and wants to transform you into who he has created you to be. This is a great news about being a Christian. Um, and if you're outside of the faith or you used to walk with Jesus and you haven't anymore, this is so important because Jesus chooses to accept us just the way we are, but chooses not to leave us there. Any good parent knows that. We want to love and lead our kids into maturity and into a mature faith and a transforming life. And the best way to experience that, the plan that was given to us to experience life transformation was through the body of Christ in this space, in, in the church, through the people. And that's not going to happen in rows. It's not going to happen in here in this room. And I love, in, I love in here. I love this. I have dedicated the last 17 years of my life to, to working and giving my life to in here. And it's awesome. But, you know, what the local church is most designed and equipped to do can't happen in here. And that's why I need, and that's why you need, and that's why we all need a therapist. I'm just kidding. That's why we all need smaller groups. That's why we all need circles. Because in a circle, it's in a group where a handful of people are one anothering one another with loving one another. That's where you are accepted and where you accept each other. And that's where you're able to be honest. And if you've never experienced confession of sins, it is quite a healing experience. That's not going to happen in rows. Rows don't know. It only happens in circles. And in fact, uh, when you confess your sins, they're going to pray for you. They're not going to kick you out of the group. And they're going to pray. And somebody else in the group is going to say, hey, me too. I struggle with that too. And all of a sudden, you're going to realize, I am not alone. We're not the only couple, married couple struggling. I'm not the only man who's, who's suffering with this. I'm not the only woman who's struggling with this. There are more people out there dealing with what I'm dealing with. I've got teenagers. I'm not alone. And we don't want to be left where we are. We don't want to be alone. We want to become everything God wants us to be, what we know we are supposed to be known for. And it happens in life on life in one another. And we talk about hope groups a lot at this church. 
um, we talk about getting into smaller groups because Rose don't know. Um, you've heard our vision statement. We said it again today, place to be known, belong, and be loved. I think it's vital for growth, for transformation. And it's because Jesus called us to do it. It's the gospel. God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus, not to leave you a love note and then leave you, but to move in your life in such a way that he transforms you from the inside out. And the way he does that is through the body, through his church. And the place that happens is in a circle, in a smaller group, where someone knows your burden so they can carry it, and where you know their burden, and you can carry it with them. And we cannot manufacture this. We cannot force transparency. We can't force authentic relationship. But we can provide the opportunity. One thing that I've learned since coming to El Dorado and to uh, be a part of this community is that you all know everyone. I mean, this like everyone is connected in some way, shape, or form. And so when we talk about starting small groups, and this is the plight of churches throughout America, and I'm going to say America because I don't think the church outside of America struggles with this like we do, but we're such an individualistic society. But, but in America, we, we can't just like sign up for a small group because this person bullied this person in second grade, or this person was part of the cool clique, and I was part of the geek, and like you made me feel insignificant and weak, and now I can't be in a group, and we're 45, and, and I'm just like, oh my gosh. So I know it's hard, and li- I mean, you're here, and guess what? You're, you're not going anywhere. Most of you aren't going anywhere, and this is who you have. Hey, look around. This is your family. We got crazy people. Not in here. <laughs> of course not. <gasps> but the body of Christ, we're made up of all kinds, and we all have a place We cannot manufacture authentic relationships. You bring the best of you to the party. We love and pray for one another, restore one one another gently. And then you can't have real, genuine relationships until you're willing to be genuine. And you won't change until you can face where you are and who you are. And that's the power of a circle. That's the power of a smaller group. So what does this mean for us? I mean, what it, we dream, and I say we, I mean, John and I, Eric, the leadership team, members of this church, I mean, I think we're in this together, that we dream of a place where that is a reality, that people can come here and feel like they can be known and belong to a community. I dream, we dream, I'm going to speak for me because we didn't talk about this before, but um, you know, this time next year, every single one of you in this, in this room right now is connected in a smaller circle, some way, shape, or form. And here's, here's what we're committed to do for you, um, together with you, is we're going to teach you how to meet together. We think that maybe we need to spend a year, uh, the fall, we'll just start with the fall, of, of teaching you, of giving you experiences of how to meet together. What do you do when you meet together? Sometimes we're like, I don't even know. Like, how do you even begin to pray for one another? How do you begin to uh, be genuine if you haven't had that experience? So we are going to be doing that this fall. Hey, Tamara, the last slide in my message has um, some details. So a couple things that are coming together, and here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to pray about this because I don't, we don't have all of the details right now. But beginning in September, we are going to provide opportunity for you to come to 2585 Deborah Drive and learn how to meet together. We're going to meet on Tuesday nights, 
uh, we're just saying like intentional discipleship. Um, we're going to hopefully provide childcare, and we're going to meet here. John and I are going to lead this. So however many people come, can come, okay? Even if you're not a part of this church, other people want to come and, and learn how to like just disciple Jesus in our lives. And um, so we're going to do that on Tuesdays. On Wednesday nights, we have middle school and high schooler meeting. Adults are leading in that. Adults, that's a smaller circle. You're going to do life together in big ways. So you're going to have opportunity to learn how to do that. Wednesday nights, we're looking at some inner healing, some uh, freedom basics, possibly celebrate recovery, some other meeting together here, working through some, uh, some uh, relational internal healing. And then Sundays, we'll kick off again in September. At 9.30, we'll have Bible Immersion Hour where you can come. Again, learn how to meet together, study the Word of God in, with adults and with our, with our students. And so this is the fall. I don't have many more details. But here's, here's really what I want you to do. I want you to pray about this, about where you see yourself going in the future. Do a self-evaluation, a self-check. We believe that the church happens in rows. Now here, I mean in circles, not in rows, because um, rows don't know. Um, but here's the, here's the reality check, okay? The imaginary you, the image you, doesn't have time to be in a group. I know. But the real you might be dying for this. The imaginary you doesn't have time for this. I know. I know. But the real you may be dying for it. Your marriage may be dying for this. Your marriage may be dying for lack of this. You're a couple and everybody thinks you met at like Dylan's and maybe that's the story you've decided to tell everyone, but you didn't meet at Dylan's and I don't know where you met, but it's, someone should know that you met somewhere else. But you're, you know, someone needs to know. They need to know your life. They need to know why you're struggling. You've got this stuff going on. You need a place to tell your real story. Everybody looks at you and they see you in all your different environments in, the, in your social media world and Dylan's and your neighborhood and they think you've got it all together. You're living some kind of wrinkle-free life and you desperately need an iron. You need a circle where you can get some stuff ironed out. So we're going to be meeting here and teaching and, and modeling what it's like to, to do life together. But here's one last thing. Parents, you've got kiddos in your home. You've got young ones. You think, I, I don't have time for this. But as a parent, one of the greatest advantages of being in a group is modeling for our children this, that we are not going to give up meeting together. The value of group life goes way beyond what it does for you, what it does for that circle, but it goes to the next generation to instill the importance and the need of meeting together. So you're already known for something. You are. You're already known for something. But are you known by someone? Does anybody know what is going on? We know who you're doing image management with, but who are you doing life with? <clears throat> and I understand this. <laughs> I understand this deeply. The culture says, protect the image. Put up the fronts. Jesus says, I want you to come out from behind that. I want you to, to come out in the open, not with everyone, because you're going to face criticism, but with, with my body, with my people. That should be a safe place. Drop the image, allow me to work at you. And how will we do that? 
we do at meeting together. Jesus modeled that. He had his three, he had his 12. I mean, he had smaller groups of people. I hope you will consider looking at your time, looking at your schedule. I hope you will make time and at least consider being a part of a smaller group. And that, that, my friends, is when the church will become the church. Let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you so much for giving us uh, this place. We thank you for each and every life represented in this room. God, we know that we don't always get it right, and we mess up, and we say the wrong thing, and we project the wrong thing. And God, we confess to you this morning that uh, we want you to reign and rule in our hearts and our lives. And as we sit here this morning, God, you know all of the reasons why we can't make room in our lives for this. We know why, uh, you know why, we have filled our schedules and our time and our priorities with other things. And so, God, I just pray that you reveal places, you give us margin in our lives and our schedules. We look to a school year, give us the ability to see where we can enter into this with other people. Thank you so much for this time to be together and worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.